Welcome to The Markets. Dateline Chicago, Friday, September 6th of 2019. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson, here for our weekly get-together to look at markets from Wall Street to the livestock feedlots to the wheat fields and everything else in between. And we always start with the Wall Street numbers to end the day and the week, and here they are. Dow Industrial Average up 76 points, ended the day at 26,804. The S&P 500 up just three and a half points. That's about uh, 12 hundredths of a percent, ending the day and the week at 2,979. And the NASDAQ down 11 points to end the week at 8,105. For the week, the S&P rose 1 and 3 quarter percent. The Dow added 1 and a half percent. And the NASDAQ gained 1 and 3 quarters percent. So looking at the day's activity to end the week, The S&P and the 500 industrials closed slightly higher today as investors really digested a mixed U.S. jobs report, and they also bet on a Federal Reserve interest rate cut this month. At the same time, we have to talk about China, and China's stimulus plan helped ease some concerns around global growth. U.S. job growth slowed more than expected in August, with retail hiring declining for a seventh straight month. You think that's the result of online shopping? That was countered by strong wage gains, which are expected to support consumer spending and keep the economy expanding moderately amid rising threats from trade tensions. Also today, speaking at the University of Zurich, Fed Chair Jerome Powell said the labor market was strong and the central bank will continue to, quote, act as appropriate to sustain economic expansion. He also said the U.S. and the world economy are not likely to fall into recession. And Joseph Zoroka, chief investment officer at Nova Point in Atlanta, said the report showed steadiness in the job market, albeit not a lot of growth. The jobs report gave enough weakness for the Fed to cut 25 basic basis points this month, but not enough that the Fed would start flashing a recession warning. And he said until we get into October and there's solid company data again, the market is going to be gyrating based on economic and geopolitical headlines. Earlier in the day, China's central bank said it would slash the amount of cash that banks must hold as reserves. That would release $126.3 billion in liquidity to shore up the flagging economy in China. Of the S&P 500's 11 major sectors, eight ended the day with gains. Healthcare, the biggest boost with a three-tenths percent increase, while the technology sector was the biggest drag with a decline of two-tenths of a percent. 
The Labor Department's non-farm payroll data showed the economy added 130,000 jobs in August, well below expectations for a gain of 158,000, according to a Reuters survey of economists. And while average hourly earnings gained four-tenths of a percent last month, that's the largest increase since February, the annual increase dipped to 3.2%, down from 3.3% in July. And today, advancing issues outnumbered declining ones on the NYSE by a one and a half to one ratio. The S&P 500 posted 53 new 52-week highs and no new lows. The Nasdaq recorded 57 new highs and 51 new lows. So that's history. What do we look for next week? Well, look. Uh, Let's look at the economic calendar, first of all. Producer prices for final demand in August are due out Wednesday, and analysts think they will have increased just a tenth of a percent after a two-tenths percent rise in July. And then the other news that we'll be getting on Thursday, these adjusted consumer price index for August, Analysts expecting that to show a tenth of a percent rise. The core CPI likely to have risen two-tenths of a percent in August. And then also on Thursday, the initial jobless claims report expected to show an increase to a seasonally adjusted 217,000 for the week ended September 7th. On Friday... Retail sales report for August expected to show a two-tenths percent increase following a seven-tenths percent rise in the month before. And University of Michigan's preliminary consumer sentiment index for September also expected on Friday. Some of the other activities that uh, Wall Street will be watching next week, Apple expected to unveil its subscription TV service, and new iPhone models at the Steve Jobs Theater in Cupertino, California, at the headquarters. That'll happen on Tuesday. In an invite to that event, Apple teased a five-colored version of its logo, implying launch of more colors for its new iPhone models. Thursday, Kroger Company scheduled to release second quarter results. The company expected to report growth in quarterly sales as the supermarket chain's investments in technology and in modernizing stores are attracting more shoppers. But comments on Kroger's gun policies will be watched very carefully. Thursday, Broadcom expected to post an increase in third quarter revenue even as many chip makers are hit by the broad industry slowdown. And on Tuesday, GameStop Corporation expected to report a decline in second quarter revenue because of slowing video game sales at its stores, as consumers now increasingly shift to downloading games. And the retailer also struggling with weak gaming console sales as buyers now wait for the new models of Sony's PS4 and Microsoft's Xbox expected to be launched next year. 
So uh, Canada will be doing some economic activity next week. The uh, annualized housing starts data for August will be issued in Canada, likely to show a decline to 204,500 units, down from 222,000 units in the month before. And Canadian discount store operator Dollarama scheduled to report second quarter results on Thursday. That company expected to report a higher quarterly profit as its strategy to keep price increases to a minimum actually paid off. So a lot to look forward to, but we're not into the report season just yet. Some other events that impacted Wall Street. Uh, With all of the trade situation with China and with President Trump telling American firms they should bring business factories that they moved to China back to the United States, it's interesting to see where the U.S. investment in foreign countries is going. And apparently it's Malaysia. Malaysia approved U.S. investment worth $5.6 billion in the first half of the year. That compares with just $113 million the previous year. U.S. and Chinese companies alike are looking at moving some of their manufacturing out of China to escape the tariff situation that the U.S. and China have imposed on each other's products. Then economists say Vietnam and Malaysia are likely to be the biggest beneficiaries. Though countries such as India are also trying to attract companies like Apple, Foxconn, and Wistron Corporation. The Malaysian Investment Development Authority, which shared the data on foreign private investments with Reuters on Wednesday, declined to name any company, but said global firms were increasingly attracted to Malaysia for its stable business and political climate. Uh, Citigroup is putting its um, investment more and more into credit cards. Despite signs the U.S. economy is slowing, New York-based Citigroup is betting big on credit cards. Currently, it's the third largest issuer of cards in the United States. And it has been among the most aggressive promoters of zero-interest balance transfers. Because for a small fee, customers can move debt from a rival card onto Citi's plastic and pay no interest for 21 months. That's currently the longest 0% deal in the industry. The card business now accounts for nearly one-third of Citigroup's overall revenue and is one of the biggest potential drivers of future earnings growth. Meanwhile, Google, which is owned by Alphabet and its YouTube video service, will pay $170 million to settle allegations that it broke federal law by collecting personal information about children. That, according to a midweek announcement by the Federal Trade Commission. The settlement with the FTC and the New York Attorney General's Office, which will receive $34 million, is the largest since a law banning collecting information about children under age 13 came into effect in 1998. 
and that law was revised in 2013 to include cookies used to track a person's internet viewing habits. So um, we're seeing some more companies that are paying some fairly hefty fines because of practices. And now Facebook, well, it too could be faced with some additional fines. Several U.S. state attorneys general will investigate Facebook on whether the social network stifled competition and put users at risk. Days after reports that Google could face an antitrust probe from a host of attorneys general. Technology companies are facing a backlash in the United States and across the world, fueled by concerns among competitors, lawmakers, and consumer groups that the firms have too much power and are harming users and business rivals. Well, that's a quick look at Wall Street. Now let's get ready to take a look at agricultural markets as Brian Knorr of Farm Futures Magazine sits down with Max Armstrong when we continue on the markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. From time to time, he comes in to join us. Bryce Knorr, Senior Grain Market Analyst for Farm Futures. You're in the home stretch of your career with Farm Futures, we understand, preparing for retirement. Well, going to be stepping down a little bit, probably uh, maintain some sort of role with uh, farmfutures.com and the magazine and Farm Progress, but not going to be getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning anymore, which I'm really looking forward to. Well, we're looking forward to the fact you'll maintain some role there. We've enjoyed reading over the years what you write. This has been an interesting summer, by all means, and we've been shell-shocked by two reports in a row here from USDA as we go into another one on Tuesday. What are you hearing from growers and what are the expectations as far as the market is concerned ahead of the September crop report? Well, I think the reports I'm getting from growers now are starting to become a little bit more positive towards yields. Their yield estimates starting to come up a little bit. That's not unusual. Most people start conservative because they want to uh, plan for a lower cash flow. And if they're surprised, it's a happy surprise. Uh, I expect uh, USDA will probably uh, hold its yield estimates steady or pro- even I- increase them slightly uh, because we've seen the crop ratings uh, basically steady to higher. Also, the vegetation health index maps are uh, showing a pretty good improvement and even potential for perhaps normal crops in terms of the yields. Now, the question is, of course, what's the acreage going to be? And if the acres go down, even normal yields could mean a smaller crop. We aren't going to really get a clue on acreage, I don't think, probably till October at the earliest. And uh, even the yields off the combines, uh, we won't get that uh, that data till October or more likely November. But this report that's coming out on the 12th, We'll have uh, results from USDA's enumerators, which are headed out to the field for the first time to take actual samples of crops. So they've been out there over the past couple of weeks, and that is, has not happened this season to this point. So we'll, we'll have actual 
crop reporter numbers from out there in the field. Right. Where is the USDA currently on yield numbers for corn and soybeans? Well, they're 48 and a half bushels per acre for soybeans, 169 and a half for corn. And uh, the, the, the corn number looks pretty solid. Uh, the soybean number could actually come up a little bit. Uh, most of the other ways we have of looking at yields based on the objective evidence indicating uh, maybe up to 49 and a half, even 50 bushels per acre. Uh, but again, a lot is just going to depend on what actually gets harvested, what makes it in time. If what makes it in time, if we get a full season, that's the thing that strikes you as you go by many of the soybean fields. You look out there and you think, yeah, it's a pretty good looking crop for late July or, or early August. But wow, you know, the, the clock is ticking here. And we're reminded of it every night when we realize that uh, the day is getting shorter. So that we're concerned about that. Now, now some of the corn yield numbers that I have seen by private analysts are significantly below the USDA's number. I've seen some down around 162, right? Well, yes, and there are others that are actually uh, at USDA or higher. Everybody's kind of messing around with their acreage estimates. Uh, I think harvested corn acres could be down by 3.7 million from what USDA uh, said in August. Uh, simply due to the uh, high uh, prevent plant acres. Typically, if, if people can't plant, uh, that means that the, the crop's going in late and more of it's going to be harvested for silage. So I'm dial- I've am i dialed it back to a crop of maybe uh, $3.1, $3.2 billion, uh, 600 to $700 million below USDA. Are people positioned or positioning uh, for a bearish report again? I mean, we've, we've had two in a row here now. Does that change the mindset a bit, Bryce? Well, the funds are definitely short. Uh, they're short corn, and they've been pressing their, their short position fairly aggressively here over the past three weeks. So if we were to get a bullish surprise, uh, that could uh, lead to some short covering. Now, what we may see is uh, if, if we do get a, a somewhat bearish report, uh, we could see futures go down, make a spike low, and then maybe uh, start to heal a little bit as we face the uncertainty as to what's going to come off the combine. The other thing that we have to uh, probably take into account is that USDA will raise its estimate of how much corn was left over from the 2018 crop on September 1st due to lower usage for ethanol and uh, lower exports. So that could add... A hundred million bushels or more uh, to that carryout number, which will help us get through uh, until we get uh, the new crop corn this fall. People may be wondering about storm damage from Hurricane Dorian, but in fact, that's a limited geography. And I believe North Carolina, while it is not a major corn producer, is maybe in the top 20 soybean states. But again, that's in a fairly limited area there. So uh, that should not be a factor, correct? Uh, the storm right into Georgia and the Carolinas. And we're, we're, we're damaging a crop that's already been shrunk by the uh, bad drought they've had exactly. uh, out there. So uh, I think the, the potential was low to begin with. Now, that could be favorable for basis here, in the uh, particularly in the eastern Corn Belt. But even as we move to western Illinois, Iowa, uh, we're going to be sucking corn early, earlier than normal uh, to feed all those hogs and chickens down in the southeast because local supplies are going to be quite small. So it'll pay to watch the basis, as it often does. You have to keep an eye on the basis around you and uh, around even in a larger geography at times. Right. And we also have to remember that the Illinois River is going to be closing. So a lot of folks who normally store their corn, sell to the river, aren't going to be able to do that this year. So they have to start thinking about alternative markets. 
so those rail, rail bids uh, could be more important to them this year. What's the timetable for the closing on the Illinois? I believe they're starting in March but uh, and uh, going through most of the summer. Uh, but, uh, again, my... Older I get, my, my, I have trouble remembering the, some of those specifics. That is planned maintenance that would be coming next year. Even if, Well, even if there is a weather closure earlier, it will be an extended closure. Right, and say. they've had trouble there. Uh, down through uh, Starved Rock, uh, they've had uh, uh, closings uh, on a regular basis. They're operating uh, at a fairly limited flow already. Uh, so this will just this will kind of come seal the deal and we'll hopefully uh, get get all those locks repaired and the necessary maintenance done. It's a reminder, as I saw a photograph the other day and I retweeted, actually it was a video clip from Brazil showing a magnificent new rail bridge that was being built across some water down there of how they are improving their infrastructure while we need to ratchet up our improvements of uh, the infrastructure of how we get grain to market. Right. And of course, you know, at some point we're going to have to to fix everything on the Mississippi River as well. The Ohio River has also had a lot of problems this year. Uh, Even had we not had all the flooding, there would have been delays. Fertilizer prices, you watch those closely, you pay a lot of attention to those, and fuel, cost, what are you seeing there, Bryce? Well, right now is a pretty good time to be buying ammonia, assuming you're going to be applying this fall if you can get your crops off in time. Uh, The uh, uh, bids, if you're buying it on the spot market, if you have storage, uh, you'd probably be paying 430 or less uh, here in Illinois. Uh, if you're going to be prepaying it for a later application in the fall, you can probably add 50, 60 bucks to that price. Also seeing prices for DAP and phosphate come down. A lot of folks didn't get that on this year. Uh, so uh, they're going to be need to be putting that down either this fall or next spring. Propane, uh, there'll be a significant amount of drying of this crop, one would assume. Uh, much more than usual, you would think. Yeah, fortunately, propane is trading about as cheap as it gets right now. Uh, So if you haven't filled up your tanks, either for uh, fall drying fuel or just uh, heat the homestead, definitely time to do that. One other quick question, interest rates. We're hearing talk the Fed may once more lower interest rates. What does that do to this whole scene? Well, uh, it looks like uh, there will probably be a quarter uh, of 1% cut uh, later this month uh, when the uh, Fed uh, meets. Uh, that's uh, good for people who own land because lower interest rates uh, help uh, support the value of farmland because it becomes a much more attractive investment than just sticking your your uh, money in treasuries. And it's the biggest asset most farmers have, is it not? Right. So that's good news. If you're looking to buy land, if you're still in the expansion mode, uh, that means you're going to have to uh, pay probably pay a little, little more f- for it, assuming the cash rents hold up. We appreciate the visit always, sir, and we look forward to uh, hopefully continuing to talk to you from time to time as you slide into another mode. Thanks a lot for being here. Bryce Knorr, Senior Market Analyst with Farm Futures. Taking a closer look at some of the agricultural activities of the week, the county fair season uh, coming to a close in the Midwest, but I did have the opportunity to attend a well-known county fair not too far from downtown Chicago. It's known as the Sandwich Fair because it takes place in Sandwich, Illinois. It's a fair that started in 1888, still going strong, but talking to the president of the fair board, he said, we couldn't do it and we couldn't build it without 
all of the volunteers that help put it together. And that's certainly the case as you take a look at county fairs and state fairs and even outdoor farm shows like Farm Progress that we covered in the end of August. Speaking of farm shows, this week, Husker Harvest Days will get underway in Grand Island, Nebraska. That show is Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. It's known as the prime irrigation show in the country because they have irrigation systems permanently installed on the grounds, and farmers have an opportunity to take a close look at the latest technology in putting water on your crops. So that's coming up on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of this week. Interesting story from China, and we can't do an agricultural report without talking about China. But uh, today, Chinese Vice Premier Hu Chunhua urged the country's main hog production areas to step up efforts in stabilizing and recovering production. Ensuring stable pork supply is one of the most important tasks for the country's work on agriculture, rural areas, and farmers. He made the announcement at one of the country's main hog production areas. All main hog production areas, he said, should develop hog production and pork supply plans and fulfill their related targets. Of course, that's not easy in China because of the ongoing spread of African swine fever. Tough to get numbers that you can really trust from China, but uh, we're hearing anywhere from 30 to 40 percent of the China pig crop has been wiped out because of African swine fever. And keep in mind, pork is one of the main meat ingredients on the menu of Chinese people. And if they don't have pork, they're not going to be very happy. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Another interesting activity that's coming up uh, at the end of the month. It's September 28 and 29. Alpaca business owners throughout North America will celebrate the 12th annual National Alpaca Farm Days. And they're inviting everybody to visit, participate, member farms and ranches during the fun-filled family event. Alpaca owners will open their doors to the public to meet their alpacas and learn more about these inquisitive, unique animals. September 28 and 29. Keep an eye out for that if you want to learn more about alpacas. That's one of the uh, additional income sources that came on the scene uh, quite a few years ago now, and it's still hanging around and apparently doing very well. Well, we did not do well in the markets to end this week. All I'm looking at is red numbers at the Board of Trade and also at the uh, Mercantile Exchange. As a matter of fact, getting back to this hog situation, apparently not enough China imports of U.S. hogs or pork to help the market at all because today we saw the December and February lean hog contracts drop the $3 daily limit at the Mercantile Exchange. We saw October live cattle down $2.87 
and we saw October feeder cattle drop a dollar thirty-five cents in today's trade at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Just very tough to get stability into that lean hog contract because of the ups and downs of China and the African swine fever that's continuing to spread to other sections of the planet, Europe, Africa, Southeast Asia, all getting hit by that disease and the uncertainty that goes with it. The grain market today saw corn futures fall to life of contract lows, pressured by disappointing weekly export data and the forecast for benign weather in the heart of the Midwest crop belt. Soybeans turned down, retreating from early advances today, and wheat followed the lower trend down. So at the end of the trading day, these were the closing prices. The December wheat contract down three and three quarter cents, ending at four dollars sixty three and three quarter cents a bushel. December corn down three and a quarter cents also, ending at three dollars fifty five and a half cents a bushel. And November soybeans down four cents for the day, ending at eight dollars fifty seven and three quarter cents a bushel. And, of course, next week we'll get another monthly report from USDA, and it'll be interesting to watch that one as we continue to get estimates on corn yield that pretty much are in line with what USDA said in its uh, reports earlier this summer. As a matter of fact, the company formerly known as Informa Economics said the corn yield would come in at 169.6 bushels per acre, that's up from 167.8 a month ago. Well, that's our time for this week. As always, we appreciate your company. Max Armstrong and I will look forward to seeing you next week on The Markets. Music.